Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. book of Acts, but today's the season finale, so there's going to be no previously next week. So let's just do a minute. Let's uh, do me a favor, guys, and we're going to pray as uh, we're about to open up God's Word. So let's do that. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I want to take a moment. I want to thank you so much, God, for all that we were just singing and declaring. God, that you are a holy God. There is none like you. And Lord, that marvelous mystery, that There is no one like you, and it is impossible to truly, fully know you, yet we can continue to grow in knowing. And there's no end to who you are. There's no end to who you are. Your nature and your character is an ocean that has no bottom and has no shore. And Lord, I'm so glad we get to swim in it. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have made it possible through Jesus, through your life, death, and resurrection, that all who call and trust in your name, that we get to jump into that ocean. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go swimming in your word, as we open up now your word, I pray that you may open up ears in our hearts so that we may respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are, like I said a second ago, this is the season finale of the book of Acts. We've been doing it all year, slow cooking this book. And uh, we are reading Luke's second book. work. All right. The author of the book of Acts has written something else and that's the gospel of Luke. And that's where we get the Christmas story, right? Christmas is next week. I am still waiting, Amazon, on those uh, orders that you promised we're going to get here before Christmas. And then they they changed the timing after I paid putting you on notice, Bezos. All right, I see you. I see you. So anyways, uh, so next week is Christmas. And so Luke is the only individual out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the only one that captures the story of Jesus from his birth. And so Luke spent this time documenting, and he wrote about the story of Jesus's life for 30 plus years. And then the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the sequel which was the book of Acts. And so Luke wrote both. And so in the same way Luke covers the uh, 30 plus years of the story of Jesus, the story, the book of Acts co- covers the story of the church for its first 33, 35 years. Ironically, it's the same thing. And so as we're looking at all those stories, I have to connect it and we have to connect it to ours. All right, so okay, all right, we got Jesus' story, got that. We see the story of the, the, the origin story of the church, okay, we got that. So, but why and what does that have to do with my story? Now, I don't know about some of you, I know for me especially, I've been pleasantly, continually, year after year, shocked and amazed at how amazing God's Word is. Because let me just give you a little bit behind the scenes, guys. Around October of every year, October, November, I pray and decide on my sermon calendar for the next year. So I select 90 to 95% of every text that I'm going to preach on for the previous, for the next year has already been determined by October. So when Sunday shows up, I'm like, all right, I'm just, this is the one I chose. Let's move on. And I mean, rarely do I make adjustments. And in this case, it was kind of easy. All right, what's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? And to me, it's amazing as we're reading stories that happened 2,000 years ago. Here I am. And every time I go to preach a sermon, I say, bro, this feels like 
this, you know, it's, it feels like it, it, it's connecting exactly to today. I mean, the, the, the crazy, the irony of how that works is amazing. It's almost like God's word is alive. Almost like the one who wrote it still lives, right? And so it's interesting how that works. And so, but when we look at our story, and we connect it to ours, I know something about your story, even though I don't know necessarily everything about you. And some of you I know, some of you I know fairly well. All right, some of you, we've been together for years. Some of you have known you for a few minutes. Some of you have known you through somebody else. Some are family. Uh, some of you, you know, we, our relationship is online. But I do know this about you, even though I don't know everything about you. That you would love for your story to make a difference at some point, right? I mean, don't we all want to be able to feel like we lived a life that mattered, right? So what is my, you know, how does my story make a difference? Like we all have that deep desire inside to do that. And interesting, right? Have you ever heard somebody say that we, we all honestly want to live for something bigger than ourselves, Right? We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Almost like if we, you know, if we know, inherently know, that we are not enough. There is just something about us that's not enough. And, and I want to be able to live and do something bigger, right? Be a part of something bigger. Well, as we wrap up the book of Acts today, all right, as we wrap up the book of Acts, I, un, I know that about our story, right? We all want to be a part of something that changes the world. And if I gave you the opportunity, you would. And if I told you right now, listen, you get to be, and I offered you a job. Let's say, imagine somebody offers you a job, and it would be to be a part of a company that has this new technology, new innovation, and it will revolutionize the world, but you're going to have to give up everything. Like, you're going to have to move. You're going to have to sell your house. You're going to have to you know, relocate to a place that you don't know anyone. But how many of us would jump at that to know that we could be a part of something that will change everything forever? A lot of us would struggle. It's a scary, that's a scary proposition. Some of us would, you know, we might do it. We might struggle. Some of us be too afraid we won't. A lot of us, we might take that if we knew it would change everything to be a part of something. Well, we're going to look at the last two verses today. We're going to see and discover how we can find our place in God's plans, not just to change the world. Oh, it's better than that. It's to restore the whole universe. All right? Oh, the petty thing. Oh, let's just change the world. No. How about the universe? Let's try that. So let's look. So we're going to read the final two verses, save the best for last, of the book of Acts. So let's read Acts 28. We're going to read verse 30 and 31. Ready? So we're going to put it on the screen so everybody can see it. Here we go. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. That's the verse. That's how the book of Acts ends. Now, well, there's three things that we see Paul doing, and, and we're going to bring, and I want us to focus on those three little activities, because if we desire to call ourselves a church, if you desire to call yourself a Christian, all right, there are three very elemental things in this little section that should be labeled, and it, it, we should be able to look at our lives and be able to see those things. And the reason 
there's this ending actually has so much packed into just two little verses. So let's see the first one. What do we see? So obviously for some of you, if you don't know, Paul has been arrested. He's been arrested now at this point close to about four years. He was falsely accused, lied about. We all know what that's like, right? And uh, he was arrested. Eventually he's appealing his case before Caesar and Caesar's court. So he's in Rome right now. That's where he is. So this rented apartment that, he's, that he has is in Rome. All right. We don't know how he's paying for it, but apparently he's paying for it at his own, ex- at his own expense. Maybe he, he was a good saver. Some of us in the house were good savers, right? Maybe he had some investments that he cashed out and he's doing that. He was a, he was a worker. He had his own business. So we don't know if he was still working to earn money or one assumption is that uh, uh, the church uh, in other places knew of Paul's need. And they wanted him not to rot in some jail, but to be a little bit more comfortable so they would give offerings to be able to help fund what Paul was doing. This is what the the book of Philippians is all about, actually. When Paul writes to the Philippian church, he's saying, by the way, I'm here in Rome. Thank you so much for your generosity. You don't understand how much of a difference it's making. I love the way even Philippians ends. So here he is, and he's, because of what the Philippians did in this other town and their love that they showed to Paul, Paul is able to, to... reach people that no one else could reach. In fact, he, have, he even says that everyone in Caesar's court, everyone in, in the government knows why I'm here. And the book of Philippians ends by saying, I just want to shout out and say how much I love you. Oh, and by the way, some, bro- some, some brothers and sisters in the faith of Caesar's household want to say hi. So there were relatives of Caesar Nero who were saved and getting saved. And I love that ultimate shout out. Hey, they, they just want to say hi, by the way. Look at how the dollars made a difference in someone you would never meet. So that's pretty cool. So, but what are the, what's the first thing that we see though? Do you see he's welcoming all who show up, right? Dude has an open door policy. And so he's chained up to another uh, Roman soldier. It's kind of like the process there. But his door is always open. That is hospitality. Now, for those of us, if you've been with us for a couple weeks, couple months, or the whole year, you know that one of the key things that we see a recurring theme in the book of Acts is hospitality. We constantly see the church in Acts. In fact, uh, I think I got the verse. We're going to put it on the screen. Acts 2.42. At the very beginning of this, one of the first things that the church did was this. It says that they devoted themselves, committed to what? The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they did this together. This wasn't a solo mission. They were not only doing what we're doing right now, right? We're getting in God's word and and we're praying together, but it was beyond the service. They were committed to do life with each other. They had an open door policy to other brothers and sisters in the faith, and they had an open door policy to anyone who wanted to go. That's what Paul said here. It says that Paul welcomed all Anyone who wanted to know more about Jesus, he welcomed them. Anyone who had a question, he welcomed them. Anyone, even a believers that just wanted to be encouraged, he welcomed them all. And I love that statement because if you, for those of us, if you were here with me last week, some of the all were these Jews that rejected Paul. We talked about this last week. He welcomed them all and they rejected him. And so what I love here is that even those that, that rejected Jesus and even those that thought Paul was, you know, crazy, He still welcomed them into his place, into his apartment, and loved and served them. Guys, hospitality is something that we've seen all throughout the book of Acts, which means that as Christians, that is something that should be marked of us. How how hospitable are we at work? 
How, hospit how hospitable are we even in our own home? Do we live with open arms, with an open heart? Do we live even in our, our homes is an open door? For those of us that we did the engagement project, it was a small group earlier that we did this year. What was the engagement project but nothing? But looking at the scriptures and saying that we are called to love our neighbors and it is not that complicated. All right? We don't want to overcomplicate things. And literally, loving your neighbor is really loving anyone who, the nearest person. Like right now, those of you here, you guys are all your temporary neighbors because of who you're sitting with. We're called to love anybody who's near. But that also includes the neighbors in your home. I know, I know that's the hard part because for us, home is what? It's our retreat. It's our sanctuary. It's where we go and we bring up the drawbridge and we have a moat around our house because this is my safe place, right? This is where I just want to be to get away from everything, to get away from everyone. But for, we've been challenged like saying, no, even the neighbor next to you, do your neighbors know you? Do you know them by name? Do they feel confident that if anything were ever to happen, that they could run to your house, knock on the door, and you would be there for them? That's a good one. So if you're already convicted 10 minutes in, watch out, because we still got a little bit more to go. But see, that's part of it. We are supposed to live that kind of lifestyle, that way open to all, not just to those that we like or not just to those that are on the inside, but even more to those who are on the outside. This is what it looks like to love one another, being open to all. But being open to all, you have to be careful. There's a filter. There's a filter because there's some that take this and you can go too far. To be open to all is not open to everything. And to accept someone in your home or accept someone in your life doesn't mean you have to accept everything. And so I love, I just heard a sermon recently from Alistair Begg, and he said he was more speaking on the topic of homosexuality and uh, transgenderism, but you can apply this to anything that is, that goes against either scripture or your own conviction. Ready? So he said this, says, the love of God actually prohibits me from reviling you and your lifestyle or your choices or anything that is contrary to my own convictions. Reviling is means ang abusive anger. Meaning if I disagree with you, now I could just, just, just rip into you. No. The love of God literally prohibits me. It compels me. It, it guides me not to do that. Like I cannot express my frustration with you. Or, or look at you just because you think or act or live or whatever and view it. I cannot revile you. I cannot abuse you with anger. I can't do that. But at the same time, the love of God prohibits me from not just reviling you. It also prohibits me from affirming that as well. That's a nice little pickle you're in, huh? Right? That's, you're in, you're in, have you ever seen baseball? When you're in a pickle, you're just jumping from the other trying not to get tagged out, right? You're in the middle there. Like, how can I live such a way and love you that I'm not affirming you, but that I'm not, like, violently attacking you? Because once you go to one side, you feel like you have to go, and it's, it's, it's not easy. But praise God, we have the Holy Spirit to be able to help us. But see, that's the balance of being open and loving to all. That I don't have to affirm everything about you. Like I can still be compassionate towards you and hold to my convictions. This is not, an, this is not like an either or. There's another option that we can do. And we're called to do it. We're seeing Paul do it. And, and it's really the same Holy Spirit that helped him can help us. And now notice, and here's how we know we can keep going, is because of the next thing he does. Not only does he welcome all, but what are the two big activities that we see? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's 
teaching about Jesus. Look at, the, look at the other one. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. That was the first thing, right? He welcomed all, proclaiming the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Some of us, again, if you've never read the whole book, but interesting enough, that is another, that is actually the central theme, in fact, of the book of Acts. It bookends, actually, the book. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus kicks off everything, right? He makes his comeback. He's, there he is. It's, we're picking up the story where he left off. He rose from the dead. And now he's about to send his apostles, the 12, and then the remaining, to go into all the world. And he says to do very much that. Go into all the world now. And tell them, tell them, make disciples of all nations. Tell them what you have seen. Show them. Go into Jerusalem, which was the city they were in, to Samaria, the neighboring town, to Judea, the whole nation, and then to the ends of the earth, which is the title of the sermon series all year. The, the, sermon, the sermon title is to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? What is to the ends of the earth? The kingdom. This is the central theme of the entire book of Acts. It is a story of the kingdom of God expanding all throughout the world. It started off in this one little town in Jerusalem and then keeps going off. And then now, where is it? In Rome. And what's amazing, the way you see it is, as, especially as it's taking root and exploding in Rome, man, things are happening. Very much like Star Wars, all right? Anybody, the original Star Wars fans? Y'all seen Last Jedi, right? That, that. The other ones are some of you. The other ones we don't speak of, right? And yet they're only the, three, the original three. Well, Rome... Rome was the world's, uh, really the first world wide web there. I mean, Rome had established these Roman roads that literally went everywhere. And not only could troops travel faster than anything else, um, goods, services, information could travel fast. If it, whatever from was from Rome, you can touch any area of the known world at the time. And so interesting, we see at the very beginning of the book, we see the story starting off in Jerusalem. And at the end of the book, it's hitting Rome. Very much like, you know, Luke shoots that little missile, right, in the one little hole in the cavern. Horrible engineering, by the way, right? Exposing your weakness in that, in that sense. But whatever, right? We're just going to ignore that for movie purposes. But right, in, in the Star Wars, right, he shoots that one thing into the Death Star and it just blows up, right? A sequence of events and the whole thing blows up. That's what we're seeing here as the gospel has now made it to the empire, right? And has made it to the Roman Empire. And now the gospel is exploding in Rome and going out through the ends of the earth still rippling today. That's what we're seeing. And so all he's doing is talking about the kingdom. And guys, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is really about the king. That's what, you know, we were, Emily was talking about that earlier today. And look at the king high and lifted up. The kingdom of God is what Jesus preached about. It's the whole thing of the book of Acts. And the kingdom that is proclaimed is saying, hey, the kingdom of darkness no longer reigns supreme. There is another king. In fact, the kingdom the kingdom of darkness, the devil, has been defeated on the cross, has been defeated. on. The, there's a new sheriff in town. That's what it means to proclaim the kingdom. It's nothing but evangelism, really. It's telling others that Christ is the one true God. He is the one that we've been looking for, the one we desire. He is the need that you didn't even know you needed. He is the one. And we not only talk about who Jesus is, but to proclaim the kingdom of God is not just a proclamation. It's an invitation. All right? It's an invitation as well. Back then, and pretty much like today as well, if an army conquered a town, conquered another army, 
Now you're going to go on a victory tour, and you're going to go to the different towns in the outskirts saying, oh, by the way, yeah, you're king. Yeah, nah, we're under new management. We defeated him, all right? That your, your former rulers, no longer. Whole nation, whole country is under new management. So we invite you to participate in the kingdom or else, right? And, you know, that's back in the day, right? Participate in the kingdom or face the same thing that your king did, right? Okay, okay. That's what, the, that's what that was. There's no difference here, but there is something different because here Paul is not saying, hey, the devil has been defeated and Jesus now reigns supreme and the invitation now is to be a part of the kingdom of God or else God is going to smite you. Now, hold on. It's a little different. It's a little different because here the pro- proclaiming the kingdom is not believe or else something's like God's going to do something to you. This is like those movies when you see someone trapped or in trouble, right? And then the hero shows up, right? They burst that door open. They, they, they rip the, the roof off. They do whatever. And now they're saying, come, you know, very much Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come with me if you want to live, right? Like very much that thing. That was a horrible Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, but I think you get it. He was like, come with me now. Come with me if you want to live. Why? Because if you stay in your condition, you're going to die. Right? If you stay in your condition, you're going to die. And so to proclaiming the kingdom of God is not, hey, believe and get saved or else God's going to throw you in hell. No. It's called you are in a train that is hell bound right now. And Jesus has defeated the bad guy, but the train is still moving and it's going to head in that direction. But he has made it possible for you to say, get off the train. Come this way. Believe in me and I will rescue you and I will put you in a new direction. Or else you face the consequences that's in front of you. Guys, I know that's not a hard, that, that's, that's a hard thing to talk about, right? Especially nowadays, right? We want to be all lovey and nice and accepting, right? You know, we just want people to like us, love us, right? Whatever. You know, we don't like the thumbs down emojis on our, on, on in, you know, on the stuff. We don't like the hate, anger ones. We don't like those. We want to be loved. Who doesn't? But the, it is the most loving thing to say is what we just talked about. How is it not loving to tell someone that is heading down a path of destruction, like saying, listen, no, it's not the right way. If you love somebody, you would tell them, right? If there were patterns in someone's life that were adding up, like saying, this is not going to end well. This is what happens when you do this. Be careful. Change your life now or before it's too late. It's the same thing. And I know it's not easy, but guys, where would we be today if, if someone didn't say that to you? It matters. It does matter. It's important. And it's important to talk about how to be saved, which is to believe in Jesus. But the, hard one, the harder version, the harder answer to say is, why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to be saved? If somebody asked you a question, God came to save you from what? Online? Think about that. If, how would you answer? Now, you got one word. You can only answer with one word. God came. Jesus came to save us from and you can only use one word. Some people may say sin. You would be right, but not, not fully. Sin matters. God came to save us from hell. Yeah, yeah but no, there's a bigger answer. God came to save us from the devil. God came to save us from myself. Eh, okay, maybe. Really, the ultimate answer is God came to save you from himself him like God is God has to because he's a good righteous God he has to judge the world 
He has to judge the world. He's going to restore all things, and in order to do that, he has to judge it. But he loves humanity so much that he's constantly giving an out. You don't have to be in the Death Star when it goes off. All right? There is a way. There's room in the Starfighter to jump in on. You don't have to. It's okay. But that's the thing, guys, is check this out. If God is going to judge the world, that's the, called the wrath of God, then what other greater power can save you from his wrath other than himself? You have no hope outside of God because only God can save you from himself. And that is what this is. It's, it's good news. This is why it's good news, guys, because uh, there's bad news that goes with it. But the good news is, is that it is our sin. We've contributed to the problem. You can point all your fingers all you want. But for every, every finger you're going to point out there, you got three more condemning you, right? Pointing right back at you. You are as much the problem as anybody else. And Jesus says that I love you and I can be the only one to make that difference. And so to proclaim the kingdom of God, guys, is just that. You and I as believers are called, if you're a believer, guys, I'm telling you, you're called to do the same thing. You just got to tell Jesus' story and your story. What was your life prior to Christ and what has your life been since? That's your story. That's it. It is not that hard. Evangelism is nothing but sharing your story. Now, if you have no story, then I pray that you look back into Jesus's. Because, you know, I've said this one before. Like, some of you guys, you see the way I look like, right? Take a mental picture. If I got hit by a semi-truck, I'm not going to look the same, am I? You know, I'm, I'm going to be different. If I got hit by a semi-truck, I'm not going to look the same, all right? I'm not going to look the same if that happened. Same thing, when, you get, when you're hit with the semi-truck of the love of God and his nature and character and holiness, you are never the same again. And so all it is is just telling your story. It's just telling your story. And so that's all he did, but uh, he wasn't done. What else did he do? He welcomed all that hospitality, something that every believer were called to do. He's talking about the kingdom of God, about the king, about who he is. That's something we're all called to do. But the last thing he said was what? He taught. And he taught about what? Jesus Christ. That was a great commission. He says, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that? Welcoming them into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, and teach them all that you have seen. Teach them all that you have known. What does teaching mean? Well, guys, you understand that it's not just important to be saved, but it's also important to learn how saved people ought to live. That's what we're doing here. Saved people got to learn how to live as saved people. That matters, and so that's what he's doing here. So if in proclaiming the kingdom of God is evangelism, then teaching about the Lord Jesus is a, is a Christian word. It's called discipleship, all right? It's discipline, which, by the way, I don't know if you've ever even seen that. A disciple of Christ is one that shows disciplines. It is growing and becoming more like Christ. And how do we do that? Through his word. And by the way, another thing. Do you guys know that the number one verb in the book of Acts, the one thing that we see the church do over and over again, if you looked at all that the church did in the book of Acts, I mean, there was healings. There was this. There was that. There was, a, um, you know, uh, casting out demons. There was a thousand things that were done. But do you know the one verb that was repeated over and over and over and over again, by far the number one? Act that the church was engaged in teaching. Wherever Paul went, every time Luke said it, and then they taught and taught and taught and taught and taught and taught, and they grow in their understanding and learning and taught and taught, teaching, taught and learning. The number one thing was that. That's interesting. There's, that means there's this ongoing, guys, this is why even what we're doing now and how we approach Sundays matters so much, because it's not just about, all right, I got the Jesus thing, all right, I'm good. Can we move on to something else? No, we don't move on. We go deeper. 
We go deeper into it. It goes deeper into us. It is the number one thing. And again, if you read from earlier, I said, and Acts 2.42. What was the first thing that was on the list? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Because it was first on the list, meaning it was ultimate priority. What was the first thing that they were doing? They were still allowing the word of God to work in them. No wonder God did such a great work in 30 years. Guys, come in, look, no internet, no cars, no transportation, no telephones, none of those things. Let's talk about 2,000 years ago. How did God, the Holy Spirit, turn the world upside down in 30 years? And what was the church's number one activity? They were getting in this book. And they were letting the book get into them. They weren't, the, and the goal, like I've said before, is not to learn. Guys, teaching is not about mastering this information. It's about learning that this, the source of this masters us. That's what it is. It's learning to uh, submit and surrender to ourselves to God more and more. That is the learning objective. The learning objective of this is not just so you can answer more questions and, and you, know, you, you can go to some competition on Jeopardy and that's the million dollar question and you're good. It's not about puffing up ourselves here. It is not about mastering it. It is getting into it to the point that it masters us more and more. And so it is Christ, like Paul said, it is Christ in me. His words at work in me. No wonder. All right, the church prioritized the word of God and God did mighty works through them. As a consequence, there's no, you, you can't mess with the formula, guys. All right, you know, this is like anything else. Like some of us, I don't know if we got some cooks in the house, right? And we got some grillers, we got some other stuff. I know y'all like to do things, right? We got some stuff, but listen, m mess the sequence up a little bit. It's not going to work the same. You know, it's not going to work the same. If you're going to make some mac and cheese, what's the first thing you got to do? Heat up the, you know, the, what's the next thing you got to do? Put the mac and cheese, you know, mac in. What's the other thing you got to do? You got to put water in, Right? How is it going to work if you decide to put water after it's been boiling for 20 minutes, right? It's not going to work. Like, you can't move around the recipe. Same works for us, guys. The, the centrality of the Word of God, the people of God, the love of God, the kingdom of God, all of it is packed into this. That's the learning objective here. That's what it is. It's to learn about Him, learning to allow Him to lead us. To follow him. But then how did Paul do it? What was those two adjectives? Y'all caught this? With all boldness and without hindrance. Mic drop. Period. That's how Luke decides to end the book. Without boldness, without hindrance. Those two things are interesting. Think about the boldness, guys. First off, boldness from what? Because he's proclaiming about someone who is and proved himself over and over and over again to be the one true God. The very God that in even he faced death. He didn't just face death. Dude died and rose himself back up. That's not somebody else doing it. I mean, look at that. The boldness to know that in the same way Christ did that, then listen, we, we have nothing else to lose. I mean, imagine, guys, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a, like a sports team, right, and you're up 99 to nothing. You're up 99 to nothing, and there's, you know, two minutes left in the game. 
and the other team scores four touchdowns, right? Now it's 99 to 28. Are you sweating that it's, you know, are you sweating that they, they oh my God, they just scored four touchdowns. What are we going to do? I'm like, no, nah, there's not enough time on the clock for them to score enough touchdowns. Game is over. We're going to win this, right? You're that confident. Guys, as believers in Christ, we, we play the same game. I mean, yeah, that the enemy might, you know, win some battles here and there, but you have a sense of boldness. You ought to have a sense of boldness to know that the war is over. The war is over. The enemy might get some battles from here to there, but the war is over. And we have that boldness to know that it is not on us. Guys, I'm talking to you here today knowing and believing that it is, my confidence is not in my own oratory ability. And my confidence is not on the time that I've spent studying in this. And my confidence is not in my practice and all this other stuff. No, my confidence is that really, not almost how I would say, but my confidence is not in me. But my confidence is in this word and who I'm relaying this information from. It's him that I know that he is going to do the work. It is not on me. It is God that can produce the fruit. All I can do is scatter seeds and water it. But God will produce life. So there's a sense of boldness, guys, that every believer should have in the midst of difficulties. We have this boldness. And I love the other word, without hindrance. Meaning there was nothing stopping the train. There was nothing stopping the snowball. Now these, this whole verse, it's interesting how, how Luke, how the Holy Spirit, genius how the Holy Spirit did this. Because these final two sentences, you know what we don't see? What happens to Paul? What's the end of Paul's story? You know, Paul for two years was in jail, proclaiming the kingdom, and without hindrance, the end. And now we're kind of left with, are we going to get a sequel? Are we going to get another? We, is this a trilogy now? Well, what, what happened to Paul? We're left now wondering what's going on. Like, what happened to Paul? And uh, 2,000 years later, you know, we're not getting, <clears throat> you know, Luke didn't write one. And so why is there so much vagueness? Well, guys, some of us, um, meaning in, in history, we do know what happened to Paul. He was executed eventually by Rome. The thing is that there's not a lot of confidence in what exactly happened. Some believe that after these two years, he was released and he went all the way as a missionary to Spain and then got rearrested and then came back and was executed. Some believe that that might not have happened because none of those stories are in the Bible. All of those are just from church history. And some can be confirmed, some we're not sure. So we're left with this like, why, this ending. Now, obviously the book would have had a more of a, think about that. If we're following Paul, and then Paul for two years proclaimed the kingdom without hindrance until the day they cut his head off, period, the end. Oh my gosh. Like that, that would have been a weird like, ugh, like, like a messy ending. That's not inspiring. So did Luke leave it out because he, did, he wanted to avoid the negative? He didn't want it to end in defeat? He wanted to end in this? No. See, the thing is, guys, we see in almost in this sentence, it's like a description of this is how Paul lived for the remainder of his life. He lived welcoming anyone, proclaiming the kingdom, teaching everybody about Jesus. This is how he lived his life. Guys, as believers, that should be our same description. We should live our life. Open, loving to all, serving others. And every opportunity that we get, we take advantage to tell people about the kingdom and to tell people about the king. That, it's a description of how he lived, right? Versus, and it should be one of us, but um, 
There's also another better part here. See, Luke actually has six progress reports. Uh, six progress reports in the whole book of Acts. Six verses in which he ends very similarly. He says, and the kingdom of God continued to go. Or, and they, t- and they were ke- you know, constantly teaching, and the God was adding numbers to their church constantly. Six progress reports. So if the book of Acts is a show, there's six seasons inside of the book of Acts. Each one with its own season finale. And this is the ultimate season finale of the one we just read. This is the sixth and final progress report. And it's a triumphant one. And saying that it doesn't matter what was happening. And remember, without hindrance is amazing. Because if you read all of the book of Acts, it is just full of hindrances. You got in the same way with Luke, right? I mean, the devil was trying to kill Jesus before he was born. Right? He was, and he'd been trying to mess it up for all of the Old Testament. If you think about it, they, from Genesis all the way to now, hindrance, 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 problems, external, internal. The people are faithless and this and that and so many things. And everyone's trying to kill Jesus and they can't get it up until the time they finally kill him. And then it backfires on, on the devil, right? And then here we go and he, dude hasn't learned his lesson. So he's trying to now kill the church. From the very beginning of the book of Acts, all we see is hindrance. We see people mocking. We see people making fun. We see people rejecting. And then, you know, it starts to get heated. Now they're being abusive. Now they're lying. They're throwing them in prison. Now they're martyring them. They're murdering them. They're killing them. You know, they're, they're, they're all of this injustice. 30 years of opposition, both from the, from the temple in Jerusalem to even Rome itself. And nothing has stopped God. Fulfilling what Jesus himself said. Guys, he, he said this one statement. He said, on this rock, which was not a, talking about Peter, it has nothing to do with Catholic stuff. That's a, that's a twist. Because Paul, he asked Peter, Peter, who am I? He says, you are the one true God. And he says, on this I will build my church. Not on this one person. No, on this one statement. I am God. I am he. I am he, and on this I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what that means? That means that this is a snowball that's just going to plow through whatever you put in front of it. And there is nothing that the devil can do to stop it. It's happening. And that's what we see here. And so it's this amazing triumphal ending because really the focus, guys, is not meant to be Paul. I've said this a couple of times this, uh, these, this last couple of months. Like, listen, when you see, you, you want to be very careful when you read the Bible. Don't try to look into the dark corners in which there, there's like vague stuff. Just look at what's there. Look at what's there. What do we see? Well, what do we don't see? Well, we don't see a lot of information on Paul the rest of his life. Why? Because that's not the focus. You're not supposed to look at Paul. At the end of the statement, yeah, we're seeing what Paul is doing, but you are to look at the God he's proclaiming. As, it, as the story ended, like saying, because these two, in fact, verse 31 is the summary statement of the entire book of Acts. That no matter what God did, the kingdom of God continued to go boldly and without hindrance. This is meant for us to end the book and to look up at an unstoppable, undefeated God and marvel at him. Marvel at what he's done. That is why this book ends the way it does. We are to look at him and saying, wow, holy, 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 like we were singing earlier today, is the God Almighty who was, is, and is to come Because there is nothing that's going to stop it. Nothing can stop him. Not even death itself could stop him. And even if death can't stop him, 
Come on now. That's the ultimate. Everything else is just chump change. That's it. This is for us to look and remember. And so, guys, I want to challenge you. When you read the Bible, how often do you read it? When you do, because we got a lot of different people here. How often when you read the Bible, and you ought to read it daily, how often when you read the Bible, do you look at this and be like, all right, well, what's this telling, what is this telling me about me? And you jump straight to me, and what do I need to do, and what do I need, and this and that. So many of you could have read this and be like, Lord, I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to live boldly without hindrance. That's how I want to live. And you would have missed it. Because you would have missed pausing and saying, first off, can you just linger and marinate at how marvelous God is? Look at what he had done in those 33 years, all in such a short amount of time. Who is this God? Nothing can stop him. Nothing. He is an unstoppable God. Makes me, it, it reminded me of, of how Paul writes his last story. Now, we don't know much about Paul, but we do, like in the sense of some of the details at the end of his life, but we do know what was his last letter. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. You know, you got all the Ephesians, Galatians, you know, Philippians, Colossians, all those, Romans, all of those. Do you know what his last letter was? He wrote, it was Second Timothy. He was, his last letter that he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was to a, you know, his son in the faith. And look what he says in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 9. For which he's talking about Jesus, for which I suffer, to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. He's saying this with Roman chains on his wrist, jingling as he's writing these words. And he's saying, you know what? I may be chained up, but God is not chained. I may be bound, but God's, God is not bound. There is no chain that can hold him. In fact, he, he does, you can't chain him. He is the chain breaker. That is who he is. Look at that boldness and confidence that we have. Guys, and that is the same today. God hasn't stopped being unstoppable. God has not. When this book ended, but he hasn't stopped being unstoppable. It has continued and rippled on. But then was this last one. And this is probably one of the Coolest little things that, that I, just looking at God, it's just so amazing. The way this ends is interesting. See, Luke ends the gospel of Luke with an open ending. It doesn't have a clear, solid ending. It is, it's an open ending, meaning that you almost know there's a what's next. We've all done that. Have you ever gone to see a movie that it was just a solo movie, and then at the end of the movie, it ends in a way that leaves you, uh-oh, there's another one coming. Right? You've done those? You've seen that? And all the time. Right? And you go to a movie, and at the end, it leaves you with some closure, but it kind of just opens, cracks the door just a little bit. And you're like, oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another thing. I mean, Marvel were the kings of this, right? At the end of their movies, what would they do? Bonus scene. And the bonus scene was meant to kind of imply it's not over. It's not over. Luke ends the gospel of Luke. Jesus is, you know, defeated the devil. He is risen from the dead. Ending? Mm -mm. No, there's still more. Then here comes, the gospel, here comes the book of Acts. And now the book of Acts picks up exactly where the gospel left over. It's the sequel. Acts is the sequel to Luke. And then it continues on and does all these things. And there's a lot of fading in and fading out. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, we, Jesus is fading out. He, he actually fades away. He ascends into heaven. And Jesus kind of disappears off into the sunset. And then in comes the church. 
And primarily, we see an individual, Peter. Peter was the main guy that God was using. And the first half of the book of Acts is now God using Peter and a bunch of people. But Peter is the focus. There's a lot happening around Peter that we ought to focus on. And then in the middle, we see Paul introduced a little bit there. And then literally at the middle of the book of Acts, Peter fades away. It just, it literally just says, and Peter went off into some place telling people about Jesus and just ran off. We don't get details. We don't know what happened. We know what happens to Peter. Peter was crucified upside down around the same time that, Lu- that, that um, Paul was, was uh, executed. But the way Luke writes it, Peter now fades away like Jesus did. And he fades off. He runs off into the sunset. And then here comes Paul. And now Paul is the main focus of the second half of the book of Acts. And, he, and there's things around him that we are called to look to and see in God work. And then here's the very ending of the book. And Paul fades away. No detail about what and how. It doesn't matter. Paul is now fading off into the sunset. Kind of leaving a, ooh, this is a trilogy. This isn't a part one and part two. This is a trilogy. But Luke never wrote one. Because it doesn't matter. He wasn't supposed to write one. Because the Holy Spirit inspired this and seeing Paul's fading away. Ending the book of Acts. Now making an invitation to the reader step into the story now. You step into the story. Now it's the, guys, you, we are right now living in the third trilogy. It's the longest one where we're living in it, right? Avatar just came out. I don't know if some of y'all saw it. Avatar was like 13 years in between, right? So Avatar 1, Avatar 2. I've already heard that Avatar 3 is nine hours long, bro. Did you hear about that? Nine hours long is the original cut. Oh my gosh, what is it going to do with that? Well, this one, this, we're living in a 2,000-year-old trilogy right now, right? We're in the third act. This is the third act. This is the final times. This is it. We're living in it. And now the Spirit is inviting you. You step into the story. Step into the story and believe. Do you believe in the kingdom of God? Step into the kingdom and follow the king in the same way. That is how the book of Acts ends. It is a to be continued. It's an invitation to be a part of this and to continue what God is doing in the world. This is why I've said it all throughout today. If you're a Christian, we are called to be hospitable people in the way that we are and love and, and act and treat people. You know, not reviling our enemies, yet not affirming their sin. T- telling all about the kingdom of God and growing in our own understanding. God, you and I are to continue the Great Commission. To take it out to the rest of the world. You and I are called to still take, apply the Great Commandment. To love others as God has loved us. And just like Paul and everybody here, we are called to persevere in the faith. Despite our problems. And guys, look, it's not about you being Paul and you being this great person. Because the book of Acts is filled with a thousand characters. Old, young, kids. Um, You know, some did great things. Some were martyred. Some lived a full life. Some did big things. Some did small things. But even the small things, it all added up. And there was a lot of characters and church people here that are no names. But like I said earlier, there was a no-name Philippian church that donated money so that Paul could have this embassy in Rome. And those no, because of the no-names in Philippians who gave money, people came to know the name and trust in the name of Jesus. Because it's not about who gets the credit. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God getting all the glory. That's how we live. That's how we're called to live. Bigger than ourselves. 
And so, guys, I want to end with that invitation that the Holy Spirit now invites us to do. I challenge you to step out of your story and to step into his. Step out of your story. Too much of this, guys, too much, especially even believers. It happens. We're all tempted to do it. We want to take God's story and shove it into ours. We want to look at this and say, out of this, what can I find to affirm decisions that I've already predetermined in my head? How much of this can I cram? You are trying to shove a square peg in a round hole. doesn't work like that. <clears throat> you can't bring his story into yours. You are called to step out of your story into his. And there's a cost to that. I asked you at the beginning today, would you be willing to give up everything to be a part of something that would change the world? Well, here's that invitation that Jesus gives us. But the invitation, guys, is it's better. The focus is not to change the world. Now, that's not the invitation here. It's like, who wants to change the world and, and, and you know, make it a better place? And who? The invitation is, will you step out of your story and into his so that God can change your world? You. Your heart. Your world. Because when he can change my world, your world, your world, your world, your world, he'll handle the rest after that. Because the problem, guys, that we need to see is, again, this is why we need to live beyond ourselves, because we are not enough. There is a cost, but Christ has paid the ultimate one. And if we are willing to step out of our story and into his, we will encounter an unstoppable God. There is no hindrance. Remember we said a minute ago, the kingdom of God went without hindrance. Meaning that there is nothing that is, that is stopping God from loving you. There is nothing that's stopping God from loving you. And there's nothing that can stop God from restoring you, forgiving you, healing you. There is nothing that can stop God from setting you free. Other than you just reject the offer and you want to remain in the Death Star. That's it. Guys, are you willing to step out of your story and into his so that you can find all that you are looking for, all that you need? It's not in anything else. It's not in a what. It's not in an it. It's in a him. It's Christ and Christ alone.